short months, our kids will be using the building you see behind us. Who would have thought almost 20 years ago, our dreams of raising up the next generation would be fulfilled through the ministry of City Church Academy. Pastor Laura and I, we want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this Raise campaign. It's all because of your financial generosity that our children are going to have a brand new facility where we will continue the mission of raising up the foundation for a lifelong learning. Just to catch you up, we started the campaign two years ago, March of 2017. The City Church family came together and made pledges of $850,000 to raise funds to build our school. Since the launch of the campaign, other newer families caught the vision. And as of now, $915,000 has been pledged and a total of over $771,000 has been given. What that means is that over 84% of what was originally pledged came in. Very cool. If you know anything about capital campaigns, that is a huge percentage. Also, over 275 families gave to the race campaign and 70 families gave over $1,000. City Church, we are so proud of you. But our journey isn't over. Our goal has always been to build this building debt-free. Our current budget projections indicate that we're approximately $700,000 away from accomplishing this goal. On your way in today, you should have received a City Church Academy sponsor card. On this card, you'll see many things we need to complete and furnish our new educational wing. If there's something you'd like to purchase or give towards, please fill out the form and drop it in the offering bucket during our offering time. City Church, again, I wanna say thank you so much for your participation championing the cause of raising up the next generation. Truly, we are better together. Come on. Raising up the next generation. If you're here today and this is your first time with us, we just want to take a moment. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I want to just say welcome home. We are so honored that you chose today to worship Jesus with us. City Church family, can we give all of our new friends and our new guests a great big hand? Let's just say thank you. Thank you for being with us today. I want to just give you a quick update. It's 299 families, and as of this last week, $802,032.64. Come on, can you give God one more great big hand? Now, if you missed last Sunday, last Sunday was the conclusion of a two-year campaign where we as a church family said we're going to give to raise funds, to raise a building, to raise up the next generation. And as I mentioned in that video, our task is to build this building debt-free. And so uh, if you've given to that campaign for the last two years, I just want to say you're released. And you've, you've completed your obligation. And maybe some of you, my wife said there's some people that are asking, you know, they have a little bit to catch up on their pledges. But uh, I want you just to feel released. There's no pressure on this today. I don't get a commission for what I'm about to do. But I do feel a strong sense of urgency on behalf of the spiritual leader of this community to talk about the need. And uh, so what we are doing is we are, ha we, when you came in today, you received a City Church sponsorship card that looks like this. And so I just got a couple of options on here for us as a church family. The first option is I will pray for this project. You can see that the building is in process there. They told me that this next week they're going to start putting sheetrock, which is a big, big step. But, but there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of dates. There's a lot of details that need to happen in order for us to be able to move the school, our current academy, which has about 150 students in it, to move it from the airport campus over to this campus in order for the, uh, the fall school year 2019 and 2020. The second thing is there are some of you that have been giving. Like my wife and I, we've been giving every month for the last two years. 
years, we're going to continue our support. And I would encourage some of you, maybe you feel led by the Lord to continue giving toward, through the end of 2019 towards this project. Next Sunday, March 17th, we're receiving cards and a cash offering. So we're going to take a special offering next Sunday just for this facility. And uh, I would encourage you to pray about what the Lord would have you to do. Some of you are brand new. You've only been in City Church for a little while, but you love the vision. You love what God's doing. You love to hear our heart for the next generation. And you want to start a monthly pledge. It was really cool. A lot of people turned in cards last week. And there were a lot of brand new people that made monthly commitments through the rest of this year. On the back side of this card, there is uh, some of the things that we need for the school. And uh, it was really cool last week as well. A lot of people checked off things on there that they'd like to purchase. You can make yourself available to that. As I mentioned, March 17th, next Sunday, we'll be receiving an offering. Just It's going to be part of our offering time. And I would en encourage you to consider giving towards raising funds to raise the building so that we can continue to raise the next generation. All right. This morning, raise part two. Everyone say raise. I want you to raise your bottom and stand up this morning as we read the scripture. And uh, that worked out real well for me. Our scripture text this morning is found in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse number 1. And then we're going to read verses 14 through 17. Verse number 1. And then we're going to read verses uh, 14 through 17. Beginning with verse number 1. Paul the Apostle writing to the church of, of Colossae. Now this is significant. Paul, uh, we know as New Testament Christians, Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a spiritual father of the early church. God downloaded lots of revelation into him. He wrote letters. They were passed out to the churches. And they really became the guiding instruction the guiding instruction for local churches. And there were a lot of things happening in the church at Colossae at this time. They, they were confused about who Christ was. They, they believed in Jesus, but they still had embraced their pagan gods and their pagan cultures and their pagan way of living. And, and this, the reality of the resurrection just wasn't really real to them. And Paul's really emphasizing this, one of the main themes of the book of Colossians. Paul is establishing the fact that Jesus Christ lived. He was a real man, physical man, not just a spiritual man. He was a real person, flesh and blood. He lived on planet Earth for 30 years, for 33 years. Uh, he did good. He healed. He delivered. He preached the way of salvation, that he was the only way to relationship with God the Father. For that, they hung him on a cross. He died on the cross, but he said he would not stay dead. On the third day, he would rise from the grave. On the third day, Christ rose from the dead. It's why we are here today. Our faith, our hope is in this, and Paul is addressing this issue of the resurrection. Now, 2,000 years later, we just kind of accepted it, but it wasn't accepted. There was still a lot of controversy about whether or not Christ had physically raised from the dead. So verse number one, Paul is addressing this issue, and this is what he said. If then you were raised with Christ, the moment, the moment you say yes to Jesus, the moment you accept Christ, the reality is the resurrection reality, the physical resurrection of Christ becomes real in you. His spirit now lives in you. That same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells inside of you. And if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, then he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. When you see that term right hand, it represents the authority, the power of God. Christ is seated. Seated, 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 sitting. He's seating. He's seated. Yeah, one of those. He's sitting. There you go. He's sitting at the right hand of God. All right. So really important. Verse number fourteen. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Everyone say, put on. 
put on love and let the peace of God, everyone say peace of God, rule in your heart to which you were also called in one body and be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And then listen, I love this. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This morning I want to talk to you on this idea, living as an example for next. Living as an example for next. Father, so grateful today. That sense of your presence, the presence of your resurrected son Jesus in this room. Jesus, you've made yourself real to us. Those of us who said yes to you, Jesus, we're so thankful that we can worship you and sing about you and declare you, but also experience you today. We know that you're alive, and we thank you for that. And Jesus, we ask right now by the ministry and the work and the power of your Holy Spirit, the same power that raised you from the dead, that in this room you will quicken hearts and minds to be able to hear spiritually. God, not my words, but your words. We need you today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place to do the work that only you can do so that we will leave this place changed by the authority and the power in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, and you may be seated. I read an article this week entitled, What is Wrong with Us People? What is wrong? It was uh, an article in Psychology Today. It was written in June of 2017, and the article talks about some of the challenges that we have as human beings. And it was reconfirmed to me last night that there's something wrong with us as people. I was watching the news, and they were showing this video clip of people throwing American cheese. They're, come on, you throw that picture. They're throwing American cheese on their baby's face. Now, don't Google it right now. I mean, you can YouTube it. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, people are doing it, and they're getting all these views. I'm like, are you crazy? Like, you know, and it's like funny, and they're showing, you know, they're showing the response of little kids while they're throwing cheese on their face. And I just like, man, there's something wrong with people. There's something wrong with our culture. I mean, the fact that we would try to get likes, we'd like people to like what we're posting by throwing cheese on a poor little baby. I'm like, man, those people are crazy. But the fact is, there is something wrong with the human condition. Philosophers, psychologists, writers, theologians have wrestled with this question for centuries. What is wrong with us people? How can we as people made in the image of God who are so intelligent and effective in so many ways also be so dysfunctional? How can we? The article went on to state, the core of most of our problems is the pervasive human tendency to be excessively self-focused. Self-preoccupation lies at the heart of many, if not most, of life's difficulties. Self-preoccupation. Paul is going to address things that preoccupy us as people that cause brokenness in our life. And we're just going to kind of take a quick little tour through the book of Colossians chapter 3. Look at chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple things that Paul addresses that we tend to be broken as, broken in as human beings. The first area that Paul addresses is our area of our broken human sexuality. I want you to look at in verse number 5 with me. I want you to see what Paul addresses. He's addressing our own human brokenness. 
So he says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking. Well, that's a, that's a kind of a interesting word. Those things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Put to death. Got to kill it. And, and the brokenness of our culture and our generation today, where we are so confused about identity and who we are, about who people are. You know, it's XX and XY. Are really, is that really a man and is it really a woman? I mean, we can't figure out that kind of thing in our culture. And, and, and the, the fact that so many people are involved sexually with other people before they've said yes, before they put a ring on it. And, and just our, our, our understanding of sexuality based on the individual of fulfillment versus understanding of how God created us to be. In the very beginning, God created man to have sexual intimacy with one person. And he said it was good. And this identity was not found in our human sexuality. Our identity is found in Christ and the beauty of having a monogamous, monogamous relationship with a man or a woman who is your spouse. God created us for that. God created us for that one flesh, that sense of one flesh. It's why divorce is so painful. And Paul says you got to deal with it. you got to put to death that sinful nature that's lurking within you. And here's the, de- here's the deal. It's lurking in all of us. It's lurking in all of us. We have to put this to death. We have to make decisions about living a Christ-like life by saying no to the flesh and yes to the things of God's Spirit. So the first one is our broken human sexuality that we got to deal with. The second thing that we got to deal with, second thing we got to deal with is harsh and hateful words towards other people. Harsh and hateful words towards other people. Look at verse number eight. Paul says, but you must also, so we're going to put to death, we're going to kill things that are lurking in us. That's a decision. I want you to see all this. I'm going to back up just for a moment here. You got to hear this. Christ thou lives in you. You're a follower of Christ. His resurrection power lives in you. You're not powerless. You're not a victim any longer. Now, you're created by God to be a victor. So we put to death brokenness in our human sexuality, but we also rid ourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and don't lie to one another. Put these things, get rid of them. Get them out. These are not to be things. These these things are not to be part of a lifestyle of a person who surrendered to Christ. So it's the choice that we make. We put to death the one, we get rid of the other. The words that we speak in our homes, the way that we talk about other people, the way that we, uh, you ever watch one of these reality shows? And, I, and every once in a while, man, I'm like you guys. I, like I, I'll turn it on and I'm watching like just some crazy program. And like, I mean, do people like remember that they're actually on video? You know what I mean? Like the craziest things, people say the craziest things, they do the craziest things, and so much, you know, of course, you know, the Hollywood people, they want to see people get all stirred up and yell and curse and scream at one another. But as followers of Christ, these things aren't aren't to be part of our life. He says, get rid of anger. We live in a culture of anger and rage. Everybody's everybody's frustrated. Everybody's angry. I mean, you read it in the media. You see it in the news feeds. And this person is attacking this person. And this politician is attacking this person. And they're saying malicious things. They're saying slanderous things. Filthy language. I was talking to my wife the other day. And I'm like, what I can't believe in our culture today is how popular or how much, how much a part of the popular nomenclature the F word is. Like, everybody uses it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's filthy language. Like, just filthy. 
And if you're a Christ follower, those kinds of words should not come from our mouths. So I would tell you today, get rid of it. Stop it. Everyone say, stop it. Don't do it. You have a choice. You have a choice to make what kind of language. And if you're using that kind of language and you're saying those kinds of things to other people, it means there's something internally wrong in your spirit. You're out of alignment with God's purposes and plans. And then the last area that we got to deal with is a sense of superiority, feeling like we're better than other people, particularly in the area of race, religion, or educational or economic background. Three things. Look at, put the next verse, verse number 11 for me. He says, in this life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile. Now, in Paul's day, Jew or Gentile is a big deal. We just got back from Jerusalem again. Man, you, it's so real, this whole cultural tension between the Jewish people and the Arab people. Circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. Hear me today. Christ is all that matters. It's not our race today that we find our identity. It's not in our religion today that we find our identity. It's not in our economic status today that we find our identity. It's not, it's not in our educational background that we find our identity. Our identity today is found in Christ. He is all that matter because he lives in all of us. Hear me today. Years ago, I was interviewed by a, a major media a news magazine. And I, it was in the time of the Trayvon Martin thing. And I said, part of the challenge we have in our culture is that everything's become about race, but in the body of Christ, it's about grace. We recognize the diversity. We celebrate the diversity. We're thankful for the diversity today. But my identity today is not in my race. My identity today is in Christ Jesus alone. It is in Christ alone, and he is all that matters today. And so we got to deal with the feelings of superiority. I just kind of, I have real visual image in Jerusalem two weeks ago. I'd seen this last time I was there, but I snapped a picture of it, and it's a picture of a ladder that's leaning up against a window of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher is the place that Christians have identified since the third century as the place that Christ was crucified, Golgotha, and where he was risen from the dead. Very, very interesting place, and there's been a church here since the third century. It's a long time. That's a long time, 1,700 years. Now, this building here wasn't built 1,700 years ago, but, but uh, this building was built in the time of the Ottoman Empire. This ladder has been leaning against this window right here for 300 years. You know why? Because no one knows whose it is. <laughs> and no one knows who it is. And, and there's 17, because of the way the law works, there's 17 different denominations that are responsible for the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and they're so divided they're so do I. They can't come into agreement on anything. They can't even move one ladder that's been leaning against the wall for 300 years. Some guy tried to steal it a couple of years ago, you know. Go, guys, steal that ladder, man. I'm like, no, I shouldn't say. We don't steal. We don't do that. We're Christians. But it did kind of crack me up. What it is to me, it's a pathetic, but it's also a prophetic image of really what happens in the human heart. We get stuck in these areas. <laughs> and like Will Rogers once said, people change, but not much. And there's this human, without Christ today, without Christ at the center of our life, without Christ being our all in all, without the reality of the resurrection at work within us, we get stuck. 
And just like that ladder, leaning against the wall for 300 years, nothing changes. But that's not the people that God has called us to be. We've been called. We've been raised with Christ. So I want you to see this verse in the message paraphrase in Colossians chapter 3. He says, listen, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, if you're really serious about it, act like it. Everyone say, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Look up and be alert to what is going on around you. Look up to what is going on around you. When I was working at a restaurant years ago, my boss had a great big poster in the back that he'd made, and it was these letters, A-W-I-G-O. You know what it stood for? A wego. You know what a wego stood for? Aware of what is going on around you. Being aware. Are you aware of what's going on? Paul says, be aware of what's happening. Be alert. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Come on, he's opening the, they're opening the curtain over here. Give him a great big hand. Awesome. Open them curtains up. Keep coming in. I love it. Keep coming in. I feel like I'm down in Latin America preaching. They're hanging out the windows. I love that. See things from his perspective. I want you to see things from God's perspective today. There's three things that I want you to see if we're going to live for next. If we're going to live for next. The first thing, the first thing that we must see from his perspective is that God's love must be the driving force of my life. God's love must be the driving force of my life. Look at verse number 14, Colossians 3, 14. But above all these things, above everything else, put on love. You know love is a decision today? Do you know I choose to love people today? Do you know I choose to love people that are unlovely today? You know I choose, as a matter of fact, I believe the greatest demonstration of my love is loving people who are really unlovable. And that's a choice. Put on love. Put on love. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you. A new commandment that I give you that you love one another. Everyone say love one another. And we're going to have a great big love fest. You're like, oh, okay, let's love one another. How do I do that? Well, glad you asked. Glad you asked today. I had a, I had a demonstration. I had a a visible demonstration of somebody loving a very difficult person in their world. Our school director this week had a challenging situation with one of the parents. And I watched as our director, I watched, and, and I was really irritated and frustrated, and, and I wanted to take it out on this parent. This person was, the person was completely wrong. But I watched the way that this director handled this individual, and it was a very difficult situation. And the first thing that this individual, our director did is our, our director gave this person time. The person didn't deserve time. The person wasn't, shouldn't have been honored with time, but the, our director took time, just gave time out of their life and gave it to this individual. And one of the ways that we practically demonstrate love is by giving time, giving our time to other people. It's a practical way that we do it. The second thing is that when this person was, you know, going off and saying things and really needed a scolding, you know, the, the director had every right to use words that were very strong and harsh. They chose not to do that. They chose when that person left them. They didn't slander that individual. They didn't speak evil against that person. They spoke words of blessing. I know because I got the text. I can show you the text. They, they just blessed. They released God's love to that individual who didn't deserve it. 
And that was demonstrated in the actions, their actions and the way that they respond in that circumstance and the situation with the, with the lady's kids. And I said, you know, that's a really practical demonstration of how we love people. We, d- we love people with our time, giving, and even difficult people, we give them our time. We demonstrate it with our words. We're people of blessing. We don't slander, curse, be malicious, speak evil towards people. Actually, we speak blessing. He that would love life and see good days must speak words of blessing, Peter says. We must be people of blessing. Jesus said it like this, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you, for such as those who are part of God's kingdom. Wow. And so we love one another. Demonstrated in a practical and tangible way. The way, the way that this becomes a normal part of our life is by us getting closer to God. By us getting closer to God. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says something like this. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. That's not easy. As a matter of fact, it's impossible to do on your own. That's why you need his resurrection reality at work in your life today. And this is how it happens. I, I had this visual image this week of a wheel. And the spoke, the wheel that I'm going to show you is not a great example. I can see a few more spokes in it. But, but if God is at the center of our life, right, we say yes to Jesus. He comes into our heart. And we're, we're, we're Christ followers now. We're not people of flesh. We're people of the Spirit. We're choosing to walk in step with the Spirit. God's at the center of our life. You know, and, and these spokes represent different individuals. And this is kind of where our life starts. We start out here. But as we begin to pursue a life of God, walking with God, serving God, following God, obeying God, as we get closer to God, and let me tell you, this, this is not instantaneous, Purity is instantaneous. Maturity is a lifelong journey. There's a big difference. We're instantly purified when we confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all of our wrongs. We're instantly purified, but we're not made instantly mature. That's a walk. That's walking closer. You're the spoke. You're walking closer to God. You know what happens as you get closer to God? You notice this? You start to get closer to other people. And that's a natural byproduct. You're not trying to do it. It's just a natural byproduct. And love is the highest goal for Christians. Love is the highest goal. Jesus said, you will know that they are my disciples by their love for one another. The second thing is, the second thing, if we're going to pass this on to next, is that God's peace must become the umpire of our life. God's peace becomes the umpire of our life. I'm going to break this down here. Look at verse number 15 with me. And let the peace of God, everyone say peace of God, rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. This word peace in the Greek is irena. It literally means to join together, to make into a whole. To have a, it's a concept of wholeness or rest our tranquility. It's from the Old Testament word shalom, which means to be at peace or to experience prosperity. It's a rich word. It's a deep word. It's very deep. It's got, it's got spiritual inclinations and spiritual dimension that goes deep into our heart, and it's used so often. It's used over 500 times in the Bible. It's a significant word. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. 
We all want peace, don't we, today? Don't we want peace today? You ever you, you've been in your life and things are out of control and there's frustration and anger and disappointment and hurt and there's just a lack of peace. And when there's a lack of peace, there's always confusion. One of the ways that you know you're not walking in the peace of God is that there's a lot of confusion. You're not sure what to do. You're, 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 you're clouded about your next step, your direction. That, that means the peace of God isn't the umpire of your life yet. 2011, there was a guy that played for the Los Angeles Lakers. His name was Ron Attest. Ron Attest legally changed his name to World Peace. You know that? <laughs> you believe that? I'm like, oh, cool. His name is Meta. Meta, which is some kind of, it's a Buddhist term. Meta, World Peace. That's his legal name. And it's the clamor of the human condition. We all want peace. We want peace. We desire peace. Our, our world right now, our president went to North Korea, and he tried to negotiate peace with a foreign leader. Venezuela's in complete meltdown mode right now, and there's an absence of peace. The, the French, hundreds of thousands of French are, are protesting in the streets, and they want peace. They want justice. There's this cry from the human heart. We want this peace. What I've discovered is this peace doesn't come without a relationship with God. Now, now this is the way that men control peace. This is how we experience peace, and, and, and it's, it happens when there's an absence of love. Hear me today. When there's an absence of love, this is the only way you can have peace. It's by force or by power. In Jerusalem, a couple weeks ago, we're at the Western Wall, and, and all around all the sites, not just the holy sites, but all over the country of Israel, you will see these young people walking around, you know, they're soldiers, and they're keeping peace. And let me tell you, it's necessary. It's necessary. I had this visual image uh, when we were right very close to this location. The, the, all, all the sites are really close to here, but we were at this church, we were at a Catholic church, and we walked out of the building, and right across the street from the Catholic church, I mean, literally within you know, 50 feet or 100 feet, there's a Muslim mosque. And the Muslim mosque, they were doing their call to prayer. They pray five times a day. The Muslim mosque, the siren's going off, and they're calling people to prayer. I'm in this building where all these people are worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, praying to Jesus. There's a Muslim mosque. I see these soldiers, and then I see four Orthodox Jews walking past me. It was like, whoa. And the only way that they're able to, and here's, here's the deal, because here's the problem. Here's the problem. Religion, religion has supplanted a relationship with God. And when you have religion and people become religious and they don't have relationship, love isn't the highest goal. Being at peace with one another isn't the highest goal. Having their right is the highest goal. And it takes someone with a gun to keep the peace. It's exactly the way it works. We live by a higher law. We live by a higher law. And it's the law of love. And the only way that we can have peace in our life today is that if we individually are at peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1 says it like this. Therefore, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You know how it starts? You know how we have peace? We have a right relationship with Christ. It's about surrender. God, I surrender. It's the first step. I surrender to you today. I give you my life. I give you my heart today. Being at peace with God leads to the possibility and the potential for us to be at peace with other people. Look at what Paul says here. To be one body. To be at one body. In order for us to be at peace with others, again, it's a decision and a choice. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse number 18, Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Wow. Not some people. Not just the people you like. Not just the people, you know, your own club or your own group or your own political stripe. That's what's so, on our culture today. It's like, oh. And then we're, as Christ follows, we've got to make a decision what kingdom we're part of today. As much as, as it is possible, we've got to be at peace with everyone. And you know, how, you know how that happens? We choose to speak well of other people, even when they don't deserve it. We choose to speak well. We choose to believe the best. We choose to forgive quickly. People are going to offend you. People are going to say something stupid. People are going to do things. You've got to forgive. You're going to be people of the kingdom. The only way you're going to be free. The only way you're going to have internal peace, that internal peace, that rest, that sense of prosperity and wellness and wholeness inside is you've got to forgive other people. You've got to overlook offenses. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know what it presupposes? When he said, blessed are the peacemakers, it presupposes that there's going to be conflict in your life. There's going to be difficulties and challenges, and you have to choose to be a person of peace. And then finally, we have peace. We have the peace with God. We have peace with other people. And we have the peace of God. And that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? The ultimate goal is to have the peace of God. And how do we get that today? How do we get that sense of wellness and wholeness and rest in our soul? All the world is coming against you. There's trials, there's pressures, there's life, there's junk, there's stuff, there's drama people. I mean, every, every job that I ever had, there's always someone that's got drama. I like to wear that, my wife used to wear that sign, you know, that said, had to wear drama, then a red circle around it with a slash. Like, we don't do drama here, you know. You can save that drama for your mama. <laughs> yeah, we don't want it. We don't like that. Like, I, I want to box people. Like, I don't, like, if you got a lot of drama going on, I'm going to just step back, you know, like, okay. <laughs> but how do we do this today? How do we let the peace of God rule in us? How do we do it? You know what? Again, it's a decision. And I, I, I just like you, I have to make, it's a daily choice. Sunday, we had a great day last Sunday. Uh, it was just an awesome day in the house of God, preached. And I got up on Monday, and I started feeling pressure. Just the pressure of life, the pressure. This building over here is putting pressure on me, and, and I'm starting to look at, you know, we're trying to move the school over, and there's a lot of complexities, and we're working with Action Church, and then we have the county issues, and we're working with the general contractor and builders, and there's just a lot of moving pieces, and it, I mean, I'm telling you, I was starting to feel pressure. Like, internally, inside, I was having an absence of peace. And so I came in here Monday morning, and... Uh, we pray from 8.30 to 9 with our staff. And I came right down where Miss Christina is. I kneel right down here. I just got down on my knees. I could kneel, but then I got to back up again. That's a lot of work right now. But, <laughs> but I kneeled right there, and I just started thanking the Lord, right? I just started, you know, I started doing this verse right here, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Can you put that verse up for me? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all your understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. And so I did it. You know what I found? That I got like one inch better. <laughs> like I felt a little better, and then, man, Tuesday came. By, by the end of Monday, Tuesday came, and it was all back on me again. So guess what I did on Tuesday? I came right back here. I got right down there on my knees, and guess what I did? I began to thank the Lord. 
You see, sometimes we think, well, okay, this is not like a one time, I just a little dab will do you, one shout, one shundai, one praise, one get your Holy Ghost on, and it's all fixed. I mean, what I've discovered is that maturity is a process, and I have to continue to make decisions towards God. I have to continue to allow His Spirit to fill me. Be filled with the Holy Spirit singing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to God. I gave it to him on Tuesday. By the end of Tuesday, I had to come back in here and give it to him on Wednesday again. And I, I got through all through Wednesday and I wasn't feeling well and I went home and I got up on Thursday. Friday! Friday's a coming. Friday, I got down and, and I took by Friday, it was lifted. The burden was lifted. The building is God's. I'm saying, Lord, it's all yours. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to cast all my cares upon you for you care for me. And guess what? The peace of God. The peace of God. Then I get a, Fran, a text from Francine. A couple things that we've been really trying to work on. A couple things got breakthrough. I'm like, isn't that amazing? When you finally just give it all to God, he just takes care of it all. Isn't that amazing? When you finally just give it all to him. Okay, God, this is yours. This is yours. I can't fix this. I can't fix it. I can't, I just can't. God, but you can. <laughs> and then the last thing I want you to see is that God's word must become the source of your joy. I'm not going to dwell, I'm not going to go down deep on this. I want to respect your time today. But I want you to see verse 16 with me. He says, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will abide forever. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word of life, and he must dwell in you richly. And in order for the word of Christ to dwell in you, you got to read the word of God. You got to read the word of God. You got to make it a priority of your life. The psalmist declared it like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the word or the law of God. Delighting his word. Making his word the priority of your life. You make his word the priority of your life. You practice his word. You encourage one another in his word. How do we do this? How do we get the word into us? We got to read the word. Everyone say, read the word. We're about 41 days from Resurrection Sunday, and I'm doing a devotion on Lent. And I, I started it earlier this week, and so I've got two devotionals going. I've got, I got a 46-day or 47-day Lent calendar, and I'm reading the Scriptures every day, an event that led up to the crucifixion of Christ. And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about what resurrection means. I'm thinking about you know, that reality of what Jesus went through, the final stages of his life, the final stages. How did he live, and how did he respond to people? What were his actions? What were people around him doing? It's been a really, really rich and, and meaningful time to me. I'm also, I do my daily Bible read. And uh, my wife and I use uh, this guy's devotion by, his name's Nicky Gumble. He pastors in London, England, and he's got a Bible in one year. And he has a little devotional. And I, down, I have version. If you have a smartphone, it's really easy to do. I download it, and I read this every day. And, and what I find is that, you know, not every day I get the same depth and dimension. But by being consistent every day, it allows God to speak to me. 
It allows God, because in that moment when I'm feeding on God's word, that life, that revelation, that revelation, that revelation of who God is through Christ, that reality of Jesus, the word of God becomes real. And when the word of God becomes real, your life becomes changed. Because now you can walk in authority. Now you can walk in his power. Now you can walk in not as a victim, but a victor. Now you can understand that when you speak the word of God, the enemy must listen. Listen, these are not just like, these are not just like little uh, 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 fanciful, wishful things. This is what Jesus did. Jesus spoke the word, and the opposition of his life had to submit and surrender. You have you are people of spiritual authority. You have the word of Christ dwelling and living richly inside of you. Use it. Speak it. Declare it today. And then the last thing I want you to see this morning, last thing I want you to see is you got to sing it. You got to sing the word of God. Oh, Paul said, and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, singing with grace, or making melody in your hearts to the Lord. This is a strong word. This, as a pastor, uh, as a spiritual leader of this local community, uh, this is very strong. Teaching and admonishing. It's like, it's like, it's like bringing a course of correction, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. A positive affirmation. Listen, this is something that, that you must do. If you are going to have the peace of God, if you're going to have the love of God dwelling in you, if you're going to have the peace of God dwelling in you, you've got to sing. There's something powerful that happens in the song, in the song, in your worship and in your praise. Notice, notice what he says here. In Psalms. These were Old Testament Psalms. He's, he's talking about the Psalms that David wrote. I actually learned, hear me today, I actually learned how to pray. I learned how to pray and I learned how to worship by reading the Psalms. I mean, I was a brand new Christian, didn't know anything about it. And my dad told me, well, if you want to really learn how to pray, pray like David, pray, get your Bible and just start praying the Psalms. I remember going up to my church during the day and I just go up there and I was working at night at restaurants and I would just start to pray the Psalms. I would sing the songs. I I mean, I got a terrible voice, but it sounded good to God. (laughs) And I sang the songs. And then he says hymns. Now hymns are interesting because then the biblical concept here is that they were establishing doctrine and teaching by singing certain hymns. And these hymns all were in, were in reference and relationship to Christ. You know when you sing, a, isn't that funny how a little catchy tune, like, you know, the other day I was listening and Pharrell came on the radio and that song Happy came on. And you know how I started to feel right away? Happy, come on. How did I feel? I feel happy. You're like, happy. that's all I know is happy. I can sing happy. It's just a little tweak, you know, just a little song. Get a song in your heart where you start getting the song of God. And you start singing spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. They have such power in your life. We had a great blight on this nation's history. It's called slavery. To this very day, we, we, we are eating the fruit of that evil, wicked institution that was a driving force in this nation. But you know how God always works. With the enemy meant for evil, God always uses it for good. And there's a guy by the name of Frederick Douglass. He was a slave. He was, held, he was born into slavery, and he escaped. 
He became a scholar. He was a leader of the abolition movement. He was a leader in the, rare, the railway, uh, railroad uh, escapes from the south into the north. He was an amazing, brilliant scholar. And he talked about the impact of spiritual songs. We call them Negro spirituals. And he talked about those, the power of those songs. You know, songs like, Ride on, King Jesus. I'm camping in Canaan's happy land. There is a bomb in Gilead. I'm on the rough side of the mountain. And he began to talk about the power of the spiritual songs in the African churches. And he said, listen. He said, this is what happened. He said, we were at times remarkably buoyant singing hymns and making joyous exclamations almost as triumph in their tone as if they'd already reached the land of safety and freedom let me tell you when you begin to sing the songs of praise and of victory spiritual songs making melody you're singing like you already are free thank god almighty thank god almighty we're going to be free in christ full of his love full of his peace Allowing the Word of God to dwell richly in us because we're going to lift our voice and song unto the Lord.